If you've been with us over the summer, you would know that we are preaching from the lectionary text according to the Gospel of Luke. In fact, these texts will be our presence, our biblical witness throughout the summer as well as into the fall. And many of these stories and texts are familiar to us, the parables themselves as well as the stories. Yet it's really hard for us to understand the meaning of any of these texts apart from the context in which they were written. That's always true, by the way. Uh, if you think one verse stands alone, that's seldom the case. Usually every verse needs to be heard within the context in which it is said. This morning's story and text is no exception. It's going to be quite familiar to us. We will know it as the Good Samaritan parable, uh, although I will call that category into question. The context of this is that in the ninth chapter of Luke, several weeks ago, we heard that Jesus had come forward publicly that it was his destiny and calling to go to Jerusalem. And we know that's code that Jesus is on his way toward the cross, toward the great conflict with the religious and governmental authorities that would, in the end, crucify him. Not, not, no one seemed to be willing to do this, of course, yet Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem nevertheless. As part of this, Jesus had sent out his disciples, as well as 70 pairs of others, to go into what was symbolically every nation and prepare the way, taking with them the news, the good news, that the presence of God had come near, and while there also to heal those as, that they had found. Really, it was a sense of hospitality, of taking hospitality out, but also of receiving hospitality as they went. Now, immediately after the disciples had returned, rejoicing jubilantly that they had done such good work, Jesus reminds them that, you know, this really isn't about you. It's about the power of God in you that we call the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we pick up our text where Jesus is lifting up a prayer to God. May God help us come to an understanding of these words as they are given to us in the 10th chapter, verses 21 through 37. At that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, God, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to be by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? 
And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy? Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. If it's true that familiarity breeds contempt, then it is especially true regarding this morning's story or parable known as the Good Samaritans. I would rather name it maybe the Righteous Lawyer, but I'm not writing the book. I think it is not ironic, in fact, that this morning as we hear this story read, it comes the day after really this story, the Samaritan story, as the counterpoint to the stand-your-ground law that is in effect. And that we are given this gift today to reflect on what that means for us as Christians. We read this so often as if it were a morality tale, straight, forward, black and white, there are hospitals named the Good Samaritan Hospital. There are laws on the books of every state called the Good Samaritan Law that releases from liability those, especially medical care personnel, who might uh, do injury while trying to treat someone who is in an accident or in distress. This story may be the most recognized story in the Bible. In fact, Many people these days may not even know it's in the Bible, but they nevertheless know it's the story that calls us to help those who are in trouble. And we are surrounded by, if I may use the coin, good Samaritans. In fact, this morning, after Sunday school, I sat down in my desk chair and I heard a giant ripping noise in the back of my trousers. Two good Samaritans were kind enough to tell me as I was walking down the hall. However, they were not Samaritan enough to offer to sew them up. 
Thank you for the news. I like roads now more than ever. We are Presbyterians here. We are Puritan by instinct. We do Good Samaritan stuff ad nauseum. That's what we do. We are, excuse me for this, really narcissistically ego-driven to do so because we get our jollies from taking care of people. So what's wrong with this story? Nothing as long as we understand it. This is no, more, no longer really a morality tale any more than flying over the Grand Canyon at 10,000 feet gives us a sense of the awe and wonder of what that enormous beauty is all about. I think you have to get down on the ground, you have to walk down the paths, you have to get down on the floor of the canyon and look up at it to get a sense of its true beauty and meaning. And I think that's true for this parable, maybe every parable as well. Did you notice that when Jesus was praying to God, he gave thanks that what I have revealed to the adults and the wise and intelligent, they do not get, but only those who are infants get it. And that blessed are those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Which is to say there's something going on here that is way more than surface deep. About two years ago, the girls, Megan and Amanda, were both in town, and we decided to go do some yoga at Bethany Crawley's studio, one of our church members. Uh, I commend that to you, by the way. Uh, and, and so it turned out to be a laughing yoga night, and which means... Uh, we do some yoga, but we also lie on our backs, and she tries to get us all to laugh, and it starts, ha, 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 you ever tried to force laugh something, it just doesn't work, until one person catches it, and then when one person catches it, everybody soon catches it, it's that contagious, and you end up laughing together. It still feels a little forced, but there's the whole kinetic bodily thing of it, just as an enormous release of tension and stress and so forth. Plus, we had this great sense of community with us all like a bunch of idiots sitting around laughing with each other. We were sort of joyful and jubilant as we got into the car to leave, and as we came to the corner on Stockton, we both, to go left, we both looked right to make sure there was no traffic coming at which point we saw a car run a stop sign and hit head-on into another car coming down Stockton. It all happens in slow motion, of course, when you see it. The car that was hit went further into the front yard of the house, up into the front porch. The other car that hit it rolled over on its side. Of course, we then went right, parked the car off to the side, and found there were two others already gathered. Two homeless winos, for lack of any better term, were already on the scene trying to care for those injured. We got out, tried to survey the scene. Amanda went over to the car that was in the porch uh, and found the woman with a terrible uh, laceration on her head. She took off her sweatshirt and bandaged it and tried to comfort her. I called 911 immediately. Megan went to the other car and started trying to help the people there. The people in the front seat had gotten out, 
yet the woman in the back seat was stuck, and the car was smoking terribly. We were afraid it would catch fire, and so we decided one YO, one homeless person, who was completely inebriated, me and Megan, reached into the broken window of the back seat and pulled this woman out and laid her on the ground. We were good Samaritans, right? No. We were human beings. No more good or bad. We were just simply doing our civic and human responsibility to care for someone who was in great distress. Not someone perched up on some table of do-gooderism. Now, the irony of that for us was that we just left a laughing yoga class and encountered this tragic moment, which is to show the absurdity of life from time to time. The other irony of that, of course, if you know, that my children were involved in an automobile accident that was of great tragic proportions, who had received incredible mercy. And from that, always from them, are quick to show mercy to others in a similar state. This is the reason Jesus told parables, you see, because we think in black and white and we like to keep things on the surface, but Jesus, being Jesus, likes to turn, turn things upside down. He wants us to look at things from bottom up, not from top down. Jesus tells parables because they are these incredibly crafted genius stories that force us to have to see life and truth in a totally different perspective. Only those with eyes to see and ears to hear. And as Jesus offers this prayer up to God, as if on cue, a warrior stands up. He's not really a lawyer, so all of you attorneys can be comfortable. He's really a scribe that understood the text, the biblical text, whose job it was to memorize the text and to know where in Moses' law you were called to go for any particular reason. He would be impossible to beat in a Baptist Bible drill. He just knew the text. A lawyer stands up, and the story says he stands up in order to know what it takes to receive eternal life. That's what he asks. But he's really trying to test Jesus. Does Jesus know what it takes to receive eternal life? Jesus, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, being Jesus, saw it coming and turned it back on the attorney, lawyer, scribe. Well, you know what it says. What does it say? And the scribe goes, Ah, Deuteronomy, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Ah, Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus nods. He got it right. And he gives them A, four points on the four-point scale, although he had no idea what the point was. He knew the answer, but he didn't understand it. If you think about the question, it's really our question. What must I do in order to be saved? What must I do in order to be blessed? What must I do in order to be loved? What must I do in order to be whatever meaningful, purposeful, good 
The question, if you think about it, is always grounded in first person. What must I do? Which really gave it away to Jesus. That's why he answers them with the question, you tell me. And then the lawyer, after hearing himself say, love Lord God, all body, mind, and soul, neighbor as myself, Jesus saying, you got it, go and, I think, sort of with a smile on his face, go and do likewise. Oh yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, sure. The lawyer stops and, looking at Jesus, asks the question that we all ask. Can you give me some definition? Who is my neighbor? I mean, back then, they encountered a few people in tribes and small towns on their way without transportation, without television. Today, our neighbor is global. Eight million people are broadcast into our living room, and they are now our neighbors. And not just the people, the animals who come onto our television screens who are suffering are our neighbors too. The dogs and the cats. And all the other ways that we are asked to be good Samaritans and help bail people out. Who are our neighbors anymore? And the question is asked, of course, because we're looking for some way to justify the fact that we just can't do it for everybody. So Jesus, just give us some constraints. Are homeless people who come up and ask for money our neighbors? Are people in Haiti our neighbors? Or Syria? Or Africa? I mean, who are our neighbors, Jesus? And Jesus, understanding that the lawyer is just trying to be a lawyer in this and rationalize it like any good cleric would do, any good Protestant Christian would do, just give me some rules here, Jesus then tells him a parable. There's a man going on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It is a, it is a rough road. It is a dangerous road. There are no trees, there are rocky boulders around, there are wadis or valleys, people can hide in them, there are many robbers who attack people on those roads. This man was attacked and thrown into a ditch, left half dead. And a religious person, a priest came by, and seeing him on the side, decided, you know what, I just got too much on my plate right now to stop, whatever the reason. There's none given. He just keeps going. And then a Levite comes by. That's somebody who takes care of the church. The two most important professional clergy presents in Judaism are lifted up by Jesus as not having the time or the will to stop by and help the man in the ditch. And then there comes this Samaritan. Well, if you go back 23 verses, you find that Jesus had sent two of his disciples into Samaria in order that they may receive Jesus and be hospitable. But when they learned that Jesus' face had been set toward Jerusalem, they didn't like that, and so they refused to accept the two disciples. They were inhospitable. They had rejected Jesus. 23 verses earlier, and now Jesus shows up 
And the, and the star of the show in this parable is a Samaritan. And we need to be shocked. For it is a radical turn of events. Let's see. A Muslim fundamentalist. A black man in Mississippi in 1961. I fill in the blank. That's how radical this is. He stops. He cares for the man with oil and wine. The sacraments, ironically, that the priest should have been using to care for him. Puts him on his donkey. Takes him to an inn. Nurses him overnight. Gives two days labor to the nearby. Has business promises the innkeeper he will come back, not abandoning him. And then we, being the lawyer, are stuck. For Jesus then asked the question, you tell me now, who is the neighbor? You know, it started out with the lawyer wanting to know who's my neighbor so that I can have some idea of who I need to be taking care of. And Jesus has just turned the whole thing around by asking the question, now the neighbor is the one who took care of the man in the ditch. And the lawyer, having lost the case, knew it. He could only feebly respond, I, I guess, the one who showed mercy. Got it, Jesus said. And again with a smile. Now, go and do likewise. And what's supposed to happen, you see, is that the lawyer, us, we're that lawyer, of course, that we see it for the first time, the absurdity of our need to be righteous and define what it takes to be good and bad by how many people we take care of or how many people we don't or who we should take care of or not. All those ways that we keep score now have been turned upside down. And we're convicted. Way down beneath this parable that Jesus used to show us who we are and who God is is the incredible grace of God's love and mercy that not only convicts us, but then challenges us to go out into the world and do likewise. I think it's diminished if we turn it into a morality tale. I think it's rather a story about how we discover the kingdom of God when we are merciful enough to forget ourselves and our rewards and our scorekeeping and learn to love and care for those we come in contact with without our even being aware of it. Or at least maybe to stop throwing people in the ditch. May God give us ears to hear and eyes to see this incredible truth about the possibility of our being Christ-like in this world. Amen.